If you will, please turn in your Bibles first to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to talk about something today that I've never really preached about. I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon preached on it, but it's another one of those things that we as children of God need to understand so we can live like God wants us to live here as born again Christians. God is very big on separation. There's whole doctrines of teaching from the Bible about us and separation. God intends for us to be separated. And I'd like for us to understand some of that because it's a very ticklish subject. And so many people who begin to think as if they're separated begin to get high-minded and look down on those that we are separated from. And we don't understand the purpose of this separation. So the sermon is entitled today, Separation, and it may take two or three weeks of me talking about it to satisfy what God wants to be told. I don't know. It's a big subject. But today we're going to try to break the crust and get into some of this stuff. The first thing I'd like to do in chapter 28 of Matthew, everybody knows the Great Commission. And I want to read it to you. Chapter 28, verse 19. I've got written some some words in my book that are not what's written in there because they're translations of what it really said. And it says in verse 19 of chapter 28 of Matthew, as you go, teach. Now it says in the original text, go. Well, that scared me to death when I was a kid because I thought in order to be what God wanted me to be, I had to go somewhere. And I done read about places like Africa and South America and the jungles and everything, and I didn't want to go nowhere. And I think it held me back. But the proper way to say that, the meaning of it, is as you go. So you don't have to stop what you're doing and go somewhere. As you go every day about your regular day, you teach people who do not know Jesus Christ about Jesus. As you go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You know, I hope, that it does not take a preacher to baptize. Anybody can baptize somebody. All you've got to do is have them testify that they have accepted Jesus into their heart and then you baptize, you, you, you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And anybody can do this. teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, Jesus said. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now I've got written under that for me. 
to understand. I am not the process of somebody being saved. I am only part of the process. I am not responsible for that person's salvation. All I'm responsible for is to teach them what the Bible says about how they're supposed to be saved. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit then, is responsible for seeing that they respond to that. It used to bother me because I was wondering if I had explained it well enough for those who didn't want any part of it. But I learned. All I've got to do is to show them and tell them. The rest of it is up to them. That's what's called the Great Commission. There, there at the last, right before he left the earth, he gave us that commandment. He tells us to even love our enemies. And some of these people that we'll be talking about are our enemies. And you've got to be careful. That's the thing that I put in here about all of this is you've got to be careful. And we'll see in a minute what I'm talking about. I've tried in, from this pulpit to convince us all that God has chosen to put us into a different situation, a different place than others are put. And we see them every day. We're on a different plane than other people are because of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to respect that position that God has placed all of us in. And you'll see what I'm saying about respecting it. Because some people, I mean, I have seen people actually get together and laugh because they kept a fellow from watching his favorite TV show trying to witness to him about Jesus Christ and made him mad. And they laughed and he was mad when they left. Well, there's a man probably that won't let the next person into his house to tell him about Jesus. And that's the reason I say, we are in a special place, people. I've tried to remind you every Sunday that we're special. And we need to respect that special place that God has placed us in down here on this earth. Now, I'll turn you to a, a scripture that everybody knows. It's John 3.16. Please turn there because I'm going to read it. Because God really moved me about this thing. And how many of you can remember probably from maybe being in Sunday school or maybe seeing somebody hold up a sign on a professional football game and say John 3.16? Most everybody, whether they go to church or not, know what John 3.16 says because it's the first verse that a lot of us ever learned. And here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, most of us can quote that by heart. Why? Because it has been put in front of us so 
many times. And they give us 316. They don't give us the rest of it. And so most of us believe exactly what that says because that's all we know. We've never read anything around it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth would have eternal life. So that means that God intends for the whole world to be saved. No, it doesn't. We've had that explained right here to some folks that chose to to leave our assembly because I disagreed with that. And I taught that it was a disagreement. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus and his will was that the whole world might be saved but we have studied the whole process of predestination and election and we know that he did that before he even even created the world and so he knew all along that even though he wanted the whole world to be saved that they wouldn't be. Predestination means that he determined where you're going to wind up, and that's heaven. And the other word, election, means that he chose you, and you were elected. And until you accepted Jesus Christ, he created you to accept Jesus Christ. So he knew you were going to be in heaven way before you ever even admitted that you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the thing I want to read to you, and if they've just done you a favor and showed you five verses or six verses instead of one, you would know and you wouldn't have misunderstandings about that Jesus came to save the whole world. Look at verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, Right off the bat, in the next verse, he's talking about people who are condemned. You know who is condemned? The people who don't believe. They're condemned to a hell. And that kind of opens our ears to what may be fixing to be said next. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, here's the thing that we need to zero in on. It says, for God loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth. Not the whole world, but the whosoever's. And that's what a lot of people can't understand. You got to believe before you can be saved. And not everybody believes. Not everybody wants to believe. Not everybody can believe. And we'll look at that as we go. And this is the condemnation. Then he explains that in verse 19. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. That's Jesus. He brought light, which the Bible says is knowledge. Jesus brought us an idea that had never been in the world before. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, 
and men loved darkness rather than light. He offered them an opportunity to go to heaven, to believe and to go to heaven and have eternal life, and they turned it down. Because their deeds were evil. Now here's the thing, and here's what that says without saying it. Because their deeds were evil. They didn't believe. They heard the gospel. They know the gospel. People have shared it with them, and they didn't believe on it. Why did they not believe? Because their deeds were evil. Now I've explained to you the word angel in the Bible. It's good angels and bad angels. They're Satan's angels and God's angels. And the only way you can determine which angel they're speaking of is look at their deeds. See what they did. God tells that about us. But these people are the lost and they're condemned to hell. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Look at their, what they did and their deeds were evil. Now you've got to assume that if they are offered heaven and eternal life and the person who offers it to them is making it sound so good that the reason they don't believe it is because they would rather be evil than they had believe it and have heaven. They want to be evil. They like their evil lifestyle and they don't want to change it. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light. They don't want to hear about Jesus. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Now, there's a lot of people who, if it, one fellow said, if they came into church and sat down on the back pew, the roof would cave in. You've heard people say that. They would be so guilty sitting in church They'd be sitting back there thinking about all the bad stuff they'd done and they couldn't even enjoy themselves being in church because they got a guilty conscience. But you see, what we've got to express to them is this. God can forgive you of all that you've done, whatever it is. And he not only forgives you, he forgets it. So you don't have to think about what you did yesterday, what you did last year, what you did when you were a young person, that's all behind you. It's gone. And we're forgiven. So he doesn't want to get around the people of the light. That's you and me. People who know you and me. He don't want to get around that because he's afraid they'll find out that he's done bad stuff. But in order to be a Christian, you've got to come to a place to where you admit that you've done bad stuff and you know you've done bad stuff. But the whole thing about Jesus is forgiveness. And we as Christians ought to know that better than anybody else. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. The people who are trying and they're not succeeding. None of us can succeed and be be totally sinless. There's no way we can. But we come to the light. We come to Jesus. We believe and we're trying to keep from sinning anymore. And we ask God to continue to forgive us so that we'll be in heaven and have eternal life. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light 
that his deeds may be made manifest. He does good stuff, and he comes to people who do good stuff so they can see that he's doing good stuff too. That the things he is doing, it says, is wrought in God. And what that means is that he comes to the light, he comes to Jesus, and then he comes to Jesus' people, us, and gets in mingles with us. He knows he's done bad stuff, but he knows he can be forgiven by Christ. And he knows also when he comes around us, just like you and I know, that the good things that I do, God did them. I didn't. God did them. They're wrought in God. God is actually doing the work that makes us look so good. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, if you would turn there, I want to show you something else. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What that means, they're holding the truth in unrighteousness, means that they're suppressing the truth. They don't want you to know the truth. They're telling what is supposed to be the truth in such a way that you can't find it out. And they lie about church people. They lie about Jesus. They lie about what's good and what's not good. They criticize the church and people of the church. And they know. You know and I know and they know that God is sick of men's sin. And when you sin, whatever it is, and they call them half sins or half lies, or it's all sin. It don't matter. But God is mad at the sin that we do. Men's sin, it says. Who try to suppress the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that which may be known of me of God is manifest in them. God has shown us that, that he's mad about sin, that he's a totally against sin. And he gets all rathered up when we do sin. For God has shown it to them. So that means they don't have an excuse. God has shown them that I'm mad because you sinned. For the invisible things of him, God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nobody has an ex a legitimate excuse to not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. They knew about God. They under, had an understanding as good as we did about being saved, and they chose not to believe any of it. Now let's move on to 2 Corinthians. Verse 6, or chapter 6. In verse 14. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, and verse 14. Now we get down to it. This is speaking to us. This has to do with what we started talking about, this thing, this doctrine of God called separation. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. In other words, he's saying, what have you got in common with an unbeliever? How can you have total fellowship with them? It's going to come down sooner or later to where you're going to be known as a believer, they're going to be known as the unbeliever. And that's going to separate the two of you right there. And what concord or what fellowship hath Christ with Satan or Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an unbeliever, an infidel? And what he's saying here is, I'm reminding you, you don't have any fellowship with those folks. When it comes down to a part, you're going to find out that you're different. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Now this to us, I think, is the important part. What has the temple of God got to do with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Do you see yourself as that? Do you realize that your body is a church building and everywhere you go you're taking Jesus with you? As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. He doesn't live in the temple anymore. Since Jesus went in and cleaned the temple out and run the money changers out, God hasn't lived in the temple behind the veil. After Pentecost and the formation of the church, he now lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit is a part of God. Wherefore, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. What is the unclean thing? The unclean thing is that thing that you get involved with because you're involved with a bunch of unbelievers, and that unthing thing that you get involved in caused you to act and think like them. It pulled you down from the place that God has elevated you to. And you get in with the crowd, 
and you start doing what the crowd does, and the first thing you know, you don't feel like a godly person. Why? Because you do an ungodly thing. We've just seen that our sin is what makes us feel guilty. It's what makes us feel like we're not a Christian. We're not even trying not to sin. We're running with the crowd. So he says, come out from among them. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He says in another place, I don't mean for you to live by yourself in the woods because if you come out from among them, like some people think I'm saying, then you'd have to be a, a, a hermit or something out in the desert. I don't mean that. What he's saying, people, is come out from among them mentally. Mentally. Know that you're not one of them. And so you may live in a house right between two of them. But you know all the time that you have something that they don't. But you see, that becomes a problem too. And that's the reason I say you've got to be so careful. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. Know in your heart that every day you're trying to be like God wants you to be. That's what he said. If you will abide in me, and my words will abide in you, I'll answer every prayer you ask. And that's what it is about abiding, is knowing, denying yourself. You think about that. I can't do everything I want to do. I can't get out here and get drunk with a crowd or whatever, or party all weekend or whatever. I can't do that anymore because it brings me away from where Christ has placed me. And that's what I'm saying. You respect where you are and where God has placed you. You have respect for it. In Romans, chapter 12, back to Romans, just a little bit, chapter 12, just a few pages. He talks here about the Christian and the way we're supposed to be after we're saved. Because, see, when I got saved, I didn't know anything about the Bible much. Now, I've been reading the Bible ever since I was a kid, and I knew everything, but I didn't know any spiritual stuff. I didn't know what God was trying to tell me up underneath the words in this book. But it says in chapter 12 of Romans, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is Paul talking through this letter to the church at Romans for the Romans to do this. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul says because God has chosen you, has given you the means to accept and believe Jesus Christ and has placed the Holy Spirit in you. He's treated you, done all these things for you. He's branded you with the Holy Spirit. Anybody that can talk to you 
and recognize the Holy Spirit knows who you are. Because you cannot be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. Which is your reasonable service? Paul says it's reasonable. After God has done all this thing for us, it's reasonable for us to act this way. But look at what he says in verse 2. And stop being conformed to this world. Now I've got that written in because that's the way it's translated. What the present tense of that sentence does, of that verb, he's telling us and you that live in the world, listen to me, stop now being like the world. You're already doing it. Well, I got to thinking about it. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. The church is even doing it. We can't be a simple church anymore like they had 200 years ago because we've got to have everything. And we've got Easter egg hunts. And we've got Easter bunnies all over the place. And we've got all these things that the world's got. We go and participate in what the world, the unsaved world is doing. And we bring it into the church. And it makes the church a lot better, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It pulls us away from Jesus and makes us more like the world. And you can make analogy after analogy after analogy. If Jesus probably, somebody said, came and visited a church nowadays, he wouldn't even recognize it as being one of his churches. Because what the people in the church are doing, being so friendly with the world outside, they're not separating themselves from the world outside. They're trying their best to be just like the world. So won't nobody think they're weird. And that is the basis for the whole thing. We are weird. And if we act like a Christian, we're going to be weird. And if we act like a Christian, the people who are not Christians are going to treat us like we're weird because we're not like them. Well, I've, you know, I've never really been treated like that. Are you really trying to be a Christian in front of other people who are not? Now let me say this. If you weren't different and they didn't recognize you as something different, if you didn't have something that they didn't have, why would they want to be like you? So you see, it's part of us being a Christian to be different. And stop being conformed to this world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The way those words are used, it means start renewing your mind, changing your mind to think like Jesus every single day. And that's what you got to do. You can't live a day without trying to be more like Jesus. That's what the whole thing's about. And when you're willing to be more like Jesus, then Jesus can make you like him so much quicker than when you don't want to be that way. But there's a problem. The Pharisees had it. Most of the Jews had it. 
They separated themselves. They were really tokens of what God was trying to do by separating them. And we'll see this in another sermon, how they changed the way they did so they would be separate from the world outside that was not Jewish. And they looked down on the people who weren't Jews to the extent that they wouldn't even cross, they crossed the street to keep them from passing on the side of the road a person who wasn't a Jew. Now that's pretty arrogant, people. That's pretty arrogant. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, every man not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. All right, here's the thing. Some kind of way. This is what Jesus is saying. And there's no mistake about this now. You can read it a hundred times, and the more you read it, the more you'll begin to know. God says, I want my people to be recognized as my people. I want them to be a little bit different so people would know they're a little bit different. But there's a problem with that. So many people in the church, and you've heard them, every one of us have, well, they, those people over there, or those people over there, or those people that are not this denomination, or not that denomination, they're running them down every which way. They think more highly than they ought to think about who they are. And there is the trap. We've got egos, and we like to, we've got competitive natures, and we like to think that we can be better than anybody else. And Satan takes that whole idea and turns it around on us till we act like we're better than those people who don't have Jesus and then that causes them not to want no part of it. <clears throat> we got to be careful. That's the reason I said earlier, we got to be careful. God has laid this plan out that he wants us, mentally speaking, emotionally speaking, in our minds to know that we have been given something that everybody don't have. And we're to think special because we are special but we're not to let it get the best of us by looking at it down our nose at people that we know don't have Jesus. There's an expression that I've been hearing for, I guess at least half my life, maybe 40 years, maybe 50 years, I don't know. It's called association without contamination. Have you ever heard that? Association without contamination. That's what we've got to do. We've got to associate with people every day, our friends, our kinfolk, who don't have Jesus, in such a way that we can favorably portray a Christian to them to make them want to be one like us, but we've got to do it without being contaminated by being around them. In other words, we've got to treat them for their disease 
and keep from catching it. <laughs> Does anybody in this group remember Bob Harrington? You remember Bob Harrington in the 60s? Bob Harrington was called the chaplain of Bourbon Street. You remember that? He was a preacher from Centerville. He was a jazz musician to start with, and he got down to New Orleans, and he was a Christian, and he was called to a ministry down there to be God's representative on Bourbon Street. And in the 60s, they had him on that old black and white TV, and every time you turn around, something was being said that was quoting Bob Harrington. He was down there amongst all the vile people, the bad people, the sinners, trying to get some of them converted to Jesus Christ. And for years, he was able to do it. I saw the other day where he just died at 89 years old. But something happened to Bob. He couldn't associate with him without being contaminated. And he got crossways with some lady. Well, she wasn't a lady. That was probably the whole thing about it. He got involved with a woman, and it like to destroy his whole ministry. He got too close. And he didn't stay prayed up. And he got to thinking of himself maybe a little bit more highly than he ought to think. And Satan did all that, that media stuff for him to get him to start thinking that way. And he got deep in sin and it destroyed his ministry. And after that, nobody ever heard of him. I mean, I haven't heard of him for years. Don't know where he is, what he was doing or whatever. But when I knew him in the 60s, or knew of him, he was a younger man that day. And he died at 89. They have to realize that you're not entirely like them. They have to see that in you. And you've got to realize that they're not entirely like you. In Matthew chapter 13, and verse 11 says this, and I can read it, you can just listen if you want. Jesus said, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. It's not for them to know the things that you know, that I know. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that which he hath. God said, if you turn me down, what little bit you've learned, I'll take that away from you too. If you're not going to have me, then I'm going to clean you out. Therefore speak out of them in parables, because they see and see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. You hear what I'm saying, and you see what I'm saying, but you don't understand it. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes 
They have closed. You see, it's not accident. You're telling them about Jesus, and they're closing their eyes. They're thinking about something else. They're not hearing a word you're saying, and they don't believe anything you're saying. And they're doing it themselves. It's not that it happened to them. They're doing it. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, Jesus said, and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. They're not supposed to be converted, and they're not supposed to be healed. And blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Let me tell you something, folks. That's the reason I said a minute ago. You need to respect the things that Jesus has taught you through the Holy Spirit. You need to respect the place that you now live as children of God. You need to respect the fact that you are born again, you're saved, you're a Christian, and there are others around you who do not have that. Because Jesus told them, there are a lot of important people, Christians, who have wanted so bad to understand what we understand, and they don't. So know who you are. Know what he's done for you that he hadn't done for everybody. And the thing that I want you to grasp out of this is this. And this is the mistake that I've seen so many people make. Some of them I made myself. You cannot do the lost a favor by letting them believe you're exactly like them. Don't try to make friends with them by acting like them or being like them or doing what they do. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help you get them born again. They have got to understand that you have something that keeps you from being like them or they wouldn't want what you've got. But you can't look down your nose at them. You've got to have them believing that you love them enough that you want them to have what you've got. And that's the secret of the whole thing. We've got to show love to them. We've got to. We can't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, God says. We've got to show love. And we really care about them. And we want them have what we have. But then there's some in Luke chapter 6. God tells us through Luke 6 that there's another crowd out there. Luke 6 verse 22. Blessed are ye this is Jesus talking again. It's in red. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company. They don't want you around them because you're a Christian. You act different. 
You don't tell dirty jokes like they do. You don't drink and get drunk like they do. You don't party like they do. You don't have a vulgar mouth like they do. And you don't have thoughts like they have. And for that reason, they don't want you around them. Separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake, because you know Jesus. That's a little thing added to that. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers under the prophets. They've been treating God's people that way ever since Jesus was here. There's no difference. So like I say, don't fall into the trap of trying to be like them so they'll consider you one of them so they'll listen to you. <clears throat> because if you like them, they say, <laughs> see there, when I talk to him, he's just like me, he's not any different. You can't do that. You can't do that. Blessed are ye because they're going to hate you. Why? For acting like a Christian. Some won't believe. They could, but they won't. They close their eyes. Respect that. And respect God's plan. Keep trying. Because we don't know who is of the elect. Who God has already worked with. Who is going to accept us. So you've got to keep trying. Some of the Presbyterians say, well, if we believe like, like y'all... We wouldn't even witness to anybody. No, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. They believe that who's going to be saved is going to be saved. But you see, in Romans, Jesus says, how can they hear? How can they believe without hearing? And how can they believe and unless they hear and somebody shows them? That somebody shows them is us, y'all. That's what we've got to do. We've got to teach them what Jesus has said in order for them to have an opportunity to believe. And let me say this, all the rest that I said here today is because of this. They're watching you like a hawk. They're watching you like they watch the insurance salesman. Is he just trying to sell me something or is he really believing this? They're looking at your eyes to see if you really believe what you're telling them. Is it a game? Is it a sham? Is it something you're going to get out of it that they don't know about? The reason you're telling them this? No. They've got to look at you and see nothing but concern and love and honesty in your eyes. That you know this is true. Because that's the only way they can be proved. That if you know it's true, then maybe it's true. Because you see, they can't get anything out of a Bible. They can't. So you see, we're really supposed to be, be keeping ourselves a little bit separate from the people around us. We've got to remind people, even in our family. Jesus, we saw last week where Jesus says, I didn't come to save the world. I came to put people at odds with each other because one of them's got me and the other one doesn't. So the people who may be kin to or whatever, constantly remind them that you have Jesus 
And you don't have to say they don't. Just remind them that you have Jesus and Jesus would rather for you not to do some of the things they're doing. Be a witness. Be a testimony for God on this earth. Let's pray. Father, teach us the realization of all of this. It's not an easy thing. And if you just hit at it, you can't understand it. Because there are all kinds of pitfalls and traps in here that Satan knows about it and can trap us into being something that you don't want us to be. So Lord, make us understand that you help the humble and you resist the proud. Don't let us think so highly of ourselves that somebody might take us as being arrogant or proud that we're not like them because that nothing turns people off any faster than that, and you know this. So, Lord, lead us into being what you'd have us to be and to live like you'd have us to live, and we'll give you the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.